1: Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. Room full of heroes here Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, and Greg Rosenthal, our boss. Hey guys, how are you today? Is this the first time all four of us and only the four of us have been in for one of these podcasts? I, you might be right. This might. We, keep, we always bring up when we have these new permutations, but this might be the last one that we had not conquered, and now we have.
2: We had Patra with us, the one of the time we were all in the same room, I believe.
1: That's right. So, as many of you now know, we are on iTunes. We are also on Stitcher. I don't know what Stitcher is, but it is something that exists in society that people use to listen to things like this. So, we're there. Um, download our podcast, rate our podcast on, on iTunes, give us love. Uh, And we will continue to provide high level content. And thank you, by the way. We
3: couldn't mention this on Monday, but we're trouncing Rich Eisen and Damashek and just taking (laughs) names here in these podcast rankings. In terms of the downloads, a lot of new subscribers, and we appreciate all the love. <laughs> I do like you mentioning that we're
1: trouncing Rich Eisen <laughs> two days after he, he was nice enough to come on our podcast. Might not be true either, but we're doing,
3: we're happy that some people are listening, so we thank you.
1: Yeah, we are. We're doing very well. Wes, you've been tracking the metrics very closely on our uh, downloads. I know that. Many emails you've been sending out.
4: Uh, it seems like we're doing well. We're top five. That's all. And we're big in England. Which uh, we have been big in England all along. Right. Yeah, thank you to our
3: Canadian listeners. Germany, another country that you likes us. not think,
1: but they are. And then, of <laughs> course, and our great Australian uh, listeners, including uh, the great... Tristan. Our friend Tristan, yeah. The great Tristan. Thank you, Mark. Just trying to work you in there, Mark. Awkward. A little bit of a late jump in there. No problem. So Okay, so we have a lot to get to. We should start, since it is Wednesday, we're coming off another great episode of Hard Knocks on HBO. Um, this, this episode, as you know, we have our, our recaps on around the league that I write. Um, I invited Mark Sessler to Hansus Manor to watch <laughs> this one because Mark doesn't have cable for some reason. Thanks for the invite, Dan. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: a little rough. Clicky.
3: Wait that's a second.
1: A Wait a second. Mark and I had discussed this. I can turn it into a big party if you guys want. But this particular night, it was just Mark and I under a blanket, big bowl of popcorn, <laughs> just really digging in and enjoying it with the lights turned down low. My wife came upstairs and... She thought maybe something left. was up a little well, bit. She, she immediately like, got out of there. She excused herself and yeah. just went straight to the bedroom. But okay, Greg, what is your? You, you watched Hard Knocks last night. You always do. I know. What are your takeaways from episode two?
3: Well, I could go list many, but my first one has to be Hugh Jackson's humiliating dress Oof. down of Orson Charles. Really stuck out to me. Just how brutal it was and that at the end of basically telling the guy that he's about to get demoted he doesn't even look at him in the face he's just texting never says bye either just starts texting
1: mid-sentence until Charles is like uh should I leave now and I yeah I wrote in the recap that you you just had the feeling you knew Orson Charles was thinking to himself as he was walking out please don't tell me there was a camera that just caught just caught my just complete complete Uh, humiliation in front of the nation's premium cable subscribers. (laughs) That was rough. I
3: mean, I also was taken with John Skelton. Like, you don't know these guys when you're watching, um, you know, the games or anything. And sometimes little facts about how their career has gone are slowly filled in. I was talking about this with my wife. Like, you don't know, like, which quarterbacks might be the sharpest tools in the shed and which ones work the hardest or stuff. And sometimes I'll just say with Skelton – you know, didn't seem like a Mensa <laughs> member there. And yeah, they lifted the veil
1: on Skelton a little he bit. Did You're like, ah. Fordham. He like, go to Fordham. Fordham's a pretty good school well, in the Bronx. It he is. He attended Fordham. Represent.
3: But I felt like, okay, that's now we understand the what is John Skelton.
2: <laughs> yeah, my I think my favorite guy and I, you know, Dan and I, Dan has Dan's writing an article on this each week. So we had to keep rewinding uh, you know, transcribing quotes, but I actually enjoyed watching. sure that watching, wasn't
1: annoying by the way.
2: Listen, it was that or, you know, sit in my car. <laughs> but I enjoyed watching uh, the Marcus Hunt. Okay, he had a couple great uh, scenes. This
1: was if if Hard Knox had a star of each episode, he would be on the marquee.
2: I would agree. I mean, it's, if the guy at number 1. Well, I don't know. Should we do we have something we want to play? Yeah, we do. Play?
1: Crystal behind the glass. Can you cue up Marcus Hunt uh, in the middle of a practice drill with Gino Atkins? Coming right up. Your favorite move. Truck 4 actually. Why, nice a hit. You're talking about the one with the Russian? Yeah, this is Rocky Four. That's three. I don't know, but Rocky Four is that one because everyone keeps talking about that. Uh, Ivan Drago.
0: <laughs> I
1: must break you. <laughs> that's awesome. The, the thing that's funny to me, too, is uh, so he gets the the are-you-Russian Ivan Drago treatment, but then several of his teammates st- seem to think he's English as well. At one point, someone asks him, why do you say across the pond? It's like I don't know <laughs> as, as Estonian and I don't have a lot of experience with Estonian culture either, but I wouldn't think he looks very English or and no, and English. he has
2: an American accent for the most part too. He's a, sort of a puzzling character. And they also asked him if all the women in Estonia look like him. Which is kind of <laughs> how I imagine. I
3: mean his girlfriend, you know, was good looking and everything, but they were walking off the field and I noticed she's almost his height. And he's like six eight. So are all the women in Estonia just just like gigantic people that Uh, Throw the discus? Well, she's from the States.
4: Yeah, his girlfriend's American. Uh, Yeah, well, there you
1: go. I think, and you have to give him credit, he has like this combination of confidence and aloofness that allows him to deal with, because he does get ribbed a lot in this episode, and it's clear that... The players target him a little bit the fact that he's a rookie a and then different than them b, which is probably pretty normal in a locker room but he handles he handles it all very well you could tell you know mike brown says at one point he's a little worried that he won't be able to make friends because he's so different but he doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to become some type of recluse in the locker room because he gets picked on
2: no and like even at one point uh the, it was a uh, defensive coordinator mike zimmer comes up And is quizzing him about, again, where is he from and what kind of language (laughs) does he speak. And he's describing to Mike Zimmer that like most people in Estonia speak either a a form of Finnish or some form of Estonian, blah, blah, blah. You find out later that Zimmer's just trying to buy time because the girlfriend arriving was a surprise. But Hunt gets into this whole side dialogue about how you can download this Finnish Estonian (laughs) app. (laughs) And Zimmer's trying to play along with it but i actually looked it up and you can and i downloaded it last night on my phone <laughs> did you
1: yeah was is it helpful to you at all i, I don't know it has know not it would, been helpful do you have like an estonian babysitter or something
2: <laughs> no it's not been helpful yet but uh, you, know, you never know
1: that's pretty funny the other the quote of the night to me came from uh marvin lewis the bengal's coach uh and i i put it in the recap i didn't give any explanation cuz i thought it worked better that way but in this in this situation we'll say it was about the preseason trip uh he was going to go, they were in atlanta and the message he had for his players was, we're not here for the, you know, the uh, Girl Scout jamboree.
3: <laughs> it was at that moment, my wife, who really likes the show, uh, looked at me and said, he's too old to be dealing with these players. Like, they don't know what he's talking
1: about. I, I, I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was episode two. The one other thing that I should point out is Taylor Mays. Uh, he's really jumping off the page for me right now Is the guy on Hard Knocks that's trying too hard for the cameras yeah he had this long story about this how he had fallen in love with this girl almost seemed like he was being catfished when he held the photo up (laughs) of her and uh, you know this he just and then he was involved with that singing skit with the boys to men it was like dude you know be yourself. It was a little more. Let forced. it come to you. Let the camera yep. come to you. I
3: love the random singing, though. I do think about that. Like, if we were, it doesn't matter how many people you got together from NFL media, there would never be a moment where we just start breaking out singing and everyone starts going crazy. <laughs> and I love, I love that about that happens every year. I love that about football. Well, they're too. young they, and uncynical. They just dance and sing all the time yeah. and go crazy. Harrison's reaction to the singing
1: was great. I mean, he was like getting yeah. uh,
3: choked up. It was beautiful.
1: Not <laughs> nearly enough, James Harrison, in episode two. But that makes sense when you remember the story that. Came out uh, yesterday about how he despises the cameras; they don't deserve to be there. Everyone's probably afraid to go near him on the Hard Knocks crew. So, another good episode, uh, Greg. Just out of curiosity, if you had to give it a letter grade, what would you give episode two?
3: Oh, that's an A minus. I love that episode. And what about the premiere? Somewhere lower. I wasn't as excited about the premiere, although I liked Harrison. Yeah, last night I was cracking up a ton. There was tons of good stories.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page. Through two episodes, I think the Dolphins season might be a little bit better but uh i think that you know hbo has done it again it's such a great series um okay so let's move forward uh new segment i guess we're gonna go around the league's gonna go around the league with the headlines that are going on right now we will go to the boss man on this greg can you take us around the league what are the big headlines on wednesday
3: well we're gonna go through some of the stories and just Pound right through him. Starting with Von Miller today, we found out that he was arrested. This raised the question. Uh, it was just for traffic citations failing to appear in court, but it raised the question whether he could be punished further. Uh the big-time Caleb Sturgis-Dan Carpenter battle is over. I've been excited about this. <laughs> All camp, Caleb Sturgis is the man in Miami.
1: Uh, we Wait. know Morris Jones-Drew. Wait, th- those are kickers. I yeah, don't know just, if everyone uh, even knows that. Those oh, come are, on. A little inside football there. Hold, I mean. hold
4: on. Sturgis, the most impressive rookie in Dolphins camp.
3: Yeah, that's right. There was a tweet about that. That's a bad, a bad sign that's for a the bad Dolphins side. class Kicker so battles. Bad. Uh, We know Maurice Jones-Drew is going to be playing this week in the preseason, so that's a great sign for him. First action since October. And then the big news of the day, other than uh, the Tom Brady injury, which we're going to hit in just a second, is Jared Valdir tore his triceps. He's going to miss a big chunk of the season. He's the starting left tackle for the Oakland Raiders. And I would argue he's probably the best player on the Oakland Raiders.
4: I would argue... It depends on whether McFadden's healthy and playing well. But, yeah, you could definitely say Valdir is the best player on the Raiders. He was one of the top five or six left tackles in the NFL last year. And, basically, he and Wisniewski are the only really reliable offensive linemen. But I have to say, I'm taking my softball pants out of the marinade, (laughs) feeling awfully cavalier about this bet
2: with Mark Sessler that the Raiders will not win six games. Because if they do, Wes has promised, if you've listened to the show before, to... Dine on his softball pants. He's right. going to eat from you know from waist to toe, the entire rugged I, piece I of cloth. A third of it can
1: be in a soup. Though we're going to have to take it off the board with uh, the left tackle now gone. Right. Let me just say one thing though, and I, I'm curious what you guys think. Let's say Darren McFadden goes down with his inevitable foot sprain uh, in the next couple of weeks. There's no chance we're dealing with a goose egg team here, are we? In Oakland it's It's so hard to go
3: and 16. I mean they would be the team to do it, and I can just hear Raider Nation sending angry tweets as I say this, especially to Wesling, who's reveling <laughs> in an injury
4: to a young promising player. <laughs> well, I did do, I did do the moonwalk outside my swimming pool today.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like the the best player on their team at potentially the most important position. And he could be back late in the
3: season. I think they're probably going to wait until week one, then put him on injured reserve, designate him to return, so he could maybe be back so in November or December. He could
4: lead them to their second victory. <laughs> That's possible.
3: <laughs> I I think Dennis Allen is a good head coach, so just you fall into three or four wins. Right. It's hard to lose less than two or three games.
1: I can't believe we're still talking about the Raiders when – a man crashed into Tom Brady's knee a couple hours ago, sent him to the ground, and turned Twitter into a war zone of speculation. Uh, Tom Brady, Greg, you were you have the you stand the most to lose in this room. I saw the look in your face as the story <laughs> was unfolding and people were speculating. It's a lie. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this, uh, Greg?
3: Well. Luckily, right before we tape this podcast, R.E. and Rappaport and Albert Breer report that it's not serious. It's a knee sprain. Tom Brady was hit in practice today. Um, basically, Nate Solder, the left tackle, got pushed into him by the Bucs. Uh, Adrian Claiborne. You know, initially, a lot of times we hear things aren't serious, but this is coming from multiple reporters. Basically, it's a question now whether he's going to be day-to-day or whether it's going to be a couple of weeks, but it's not the worst-case scenario.
1: Would Nate Solder have to go into witness protection if this turned out to be 2008 all over again? Uh, that's like a serious question. <laughs> I'm just
4: surprised Bernard Pollard was not involved in this incident. <laughs> How do we know he was? It's a there?
1: fair
3: question. <laughs> he, he probably was in Tennessee with some sort of voodoo doll or whatever <laughs> right right when
1: it happened. <laughs> I can, picture, I can picture Bernard Pollard as the MRI technician and the regular guy, like, passed out in a storage closet somewhere. <laughs> we knew things had gotten out of control
3: when the helicopter landed oh at Patriots God. practice. And apparently it was just to pick up Robert Kraft, the team's owner, for whatever reason. And people started speculating, what does this mean about Tom Brady? And to me, that was a moment <laughs> yeah. that told us kind of how everything is different in this Twitter age. And it's going to give Ryan Mallett, I guess, a couple weeks to, uh, or, or we'll see, a couple days some extra snaps uh, to be their quarterback.
2: But was it overreaction because, I mean, really, is there a bigger injury you could imagine at this point
4: in the preseason?
1: No, I don't think so. He, I think he's like 1A with uh, Peyton Manning. and
4: Well, the difference between the Patriots, they have so many new faces. Manning's throwing to the same receivers as last year outside of Welker, right. really. I mean that Brady's has to be there to break in all these new guys. Right. It,
3: it will hurt them if he misses some time. But I think the overreaction was a lot of people leave practice every day around the NFL. You have no idea when he left practice, whether it was, you know, a minor thing or whether it was serious.
1: Okay, so that is a good way to get into our next uh segment and our a new feature we have. We're gonna go through each of the divisions over the next two and a half weeks, breaking down each team as we Get closer to the season. What are we? Less than two weeks away now. Just about three look, weeks. Three weeks yeah, three. away. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with the AFC East. Uh, we'll we'll wait on the Pats a little bit. Let's start with. Wes, what we'll do here, we'll go, each of us will take a team and ask one big question. Wes, because he was on his off day and was <laughs> surra- he's at a swimming pool doing like a congo with a bunch of 74-year-old yentas. He, he, <laughs> a shuffleboard day today. Yeah, he got the final choice, so he gets to ask the big question about the Buffalo Bills.
4: When I think of the Bills, the uh, most interesting part of their team to me is that we see all of this hype for Chip Kelly and his up tempo offense. And it seems like the Bills are trying to do the exact same thing. I guess my question to you guys is, is E.J. Manuel or Kevin Cobb the man that can carry this offense? How will this offense look with one of those quarterbacks running it?
2: I think for me, it's, it's so much more important that Manuel is plugged in quickly and meshes and at least grows this season. Kevin Cobb is a patch who, even if they started him out of the gate, has never shown he can last more than you know a quarter of a campaign. You want to get Manuel in there. And I, you know, I think there was some overreaction to his preseason debut. He showed some flashes, but we really didn't see what that offense is. What, what we did see, though, was right out of the gate, C.J. Spiller was used relentlessly on that first drive. I think he is going to be the heart and soul of, the, of this offense, which is very good news for him because he was arguably underused last season, not, if not chronically. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a real issue for them. I, I think it's going to be a team that uh, is not going to win a lot of games, but it's a it's part one of a longer rebuilding yeah. project.
1: And I also I think that they at least they have if they do go with EJ Manuel and I think they will they have a great uh, backfield with Spiller and I know Fred Jackson doesn't look so great right now, but if you have two of those guys, you could feed them the rock, feed the offense through them, similar to how the Jets handled Mark Sanchez in 2009, and try not to let the rookie be everything you. must funnel back to the Jets of 2009. Hey, AFC title game. <laughs> so,
3: Greg, take it. I think some of these up-tempo offenses simplify things for young quarterbacks. Now, in some way, you have to you know, make plays, and you don't know what the play is even going to be sometimes when you step up to the line, you make a choice. But also, it kind of simplifies your reads, and maybe that's good for a young quarterback. I think Ian reported it today that, look, the Bills are just hoping that Manuel takes charge, and I think it's going to be Manuel week one. And I think the Bills' offense is much more interesting than it's been in a while. Marquise Goodwin looks like a player. I mean, he looks like someone that's going to be a factor. He's he's fast. They, Spiller. They have a track team. Graham. Stevie Johnson's not really fast, but he's certainly an established receiver. Uh, Robert Woods looks okay so far. Suddenly you throw all those guys out there, they could at least be a little fun to watch, even if they're not winning.
4: I think they'll be much more fun to watch this year.
1: Okay, so that's the Bills. So I'll take the Jets because, obviously, you know, I have to talk about the Jets. Uh, My question that I will pose to you guys is this. Uh, In my mind, August 14th is the day that the quarterback competition ended. You have Geno Smith with just a brutal practice, and he's injured – I really think at this point Rex Ryan is turning the pages. He he even came out and said that, you know how brutal Geno was today. I just think that they're now maybe gonna change gears at least initially. My bigger question is this: if Sanchez starts the season, how long before we see Geno Smith? Because we're gonna see him eventually. And to piggyback on a point that Wes made uh, in a prior podcast, you know, are we gonna get to a situation potentially where this two different agendas between John Idzik the GM And Rex Ryan, the coach, clashes, and we have something like a a movable object against an unstoppable force, and it could lead to Rex being out of work. Can you see a situation like that? Get to that point? Yeah, could it get there? I think
2: we're already at a point where there's a fissure in the Jets where you've got the GM building and thinking about taking the team in one direction. You've got Rex Ryan clinging to a whole different game plan. That's my take. I don't see it ending well. I don't think, I don't think it matter which quarterback starts the season. You, we sort of get a sense of who Sanchez is at this point. And uh, same thing with Manuel. If Geno Smith is your future, I don't think there's a lot of talent there. It's a tough situation. But I wouldn't wait months and months to get him plugged in. Here's what's fascinating about this situation to me. It's the latest reminder. Nothing. You,
4: you don't <laughs> want to talk about the Jets. <laughs> it's fascinating on an overarching NFL level as our latest reminder of just how quickly things change. After that pick six to Ziggy Ansah, Geno Smith had been, you know, most reports had him outplaying Sanchez in camp. Mm-hmm. Sanchez throws his pick six. It looks like how can the Jets possibly go into the season with the butt-fumble pick sixer? He's just, I mean, he's just... What a nickname that It's is. a calamity. <laughs> it's a calamity waiting to happen. And then by the time Geno Smith sprains his ankle... Everyone is saying, oh, I guess they have to go with Sanchez now. It's just so quickly things change. And the New York
3: Daily News broke out the camp stats for Geno Smith, who had a brutal day at practice on Wednesday, according to Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. And it was uncanny how their stats over the course of camp, which officially broke today, were the same. Almost the same amount of attempts, almost the exact same completion percentage, Almost the exact same touchdown interception ratio. So they've been really close. That tells me if Gino can steady the ship and just be okay the next couple weeks and, and he's healthy, I think he'll start week one. Mm. And to answer your question, if he doesn't, I would say the second that they're two games under five hundred, Gino comes in. Yeah,
4: if not even before that.
1: I'd be stunned if Sanchez was the quarterback by Halloween. Okay. Looking
3: at their schedule, Tampa to start at New England then it's not a little bad stretch. But then you have Atlanta, Pittsburgh, New England, Cincinnati, New Orleans. That's week, you know, we get to week nine. There's no
2: way Sanchez is by then.
4: I would say that would be the quickest trigger in the league if Sanchez wins the quarterback competition.
2: Isn't it fair to say that with Rex Ryan, if he gets out of this situation with an 8-8 record, which is so unlikely, he's equaled what Belichick did with uh, Matt Castle. In two thousand and eight, I mean, he's I going in. With, he's going in with literally one of the least talented rosters in football, being asked to do the impossible. No one thinks he can do it. I, I still want to make the case a little bit for the Jets. Their offense
3: can't get any worse, and you can be excited, Dan, about Muhammad Wilkerson, <laughs> about Sheldon Richardson, Quentin Coples, Demario Davis, David Harris. I mean, that's a fun front seven that they could should, cause some damage. They should have a top 12 defense that's fair right yeah I think so and possibly a top five why not
4: Rex is showing the secondary
2: is a little bit shaky but you're right Rex Re- Rex Ryan
4: deserves every benefit of doubt as a defensive I-, coach. I don't
2: go top five though when you have an offense that might have your defense out on the field 35 40 minutes a game right all
1: right we you know we're going to talk about the Jets the next podcast and the podcast after that, <laughs> and the one right. after that. so let's let's move on the Miami Dolphins a completely retooled team or somewhat retooled. Mark Sessler, what is the big question?
2: Well, the big question, unlike the last two, is not quarterback based, because I do think that Ryan Tannehill finally gives them an answer at that position. But the question is that offensive line. They went out and they decorated all these other position groups, but that left tackle position with Jonathan Martin, and really you got issues at right guard where there's is it is Jerry is not starting at the moment, the guy behind him's hurt. There are issues, and, and as Greg pointed out at the Hall of Fame game, you couldn't even get a fair read on Tannehill's play because the guy is running for his life back there. Does that go on into the season if they don't mesh? Are the Dolphins just another 7-9 and nine team like they were last year despite all the additions?
4: What, okay, here's what's fascinating to me about the Dolphins since we already pointed out what's fascinating <laughs> about the Jets. So Jeff Ireland has this big shopping list. He went and filled up his basket. Bought more groceries than any GM in the NFL, and it's the one move he couldn't pull off that's going to bite him. He couldn't make the trade for Brandon Albert, who is a well-above-average left tackle. And that's an important position for a, a quarterback who's developing like Tannehill. Right. So he, here he is making all these moves, and the one he couldn't pull off is the one that could really hurt the Dolphins this year.
3: And it's always over stupid, small right. stuff. I'll give up the late second, but I won't give up the early second-round pick to try to save my job, to try to get a quality franchise left tackle because maybe we believe in Jonathan Martin. To answer your question, Mark, I think it's got to be a huge problem. In their first preseason game, You know, Joe Philbin even pointed out Mike Wallace had single coverage every snap he was in the game. Didn't get one target because Tannehill wasn't protected. That's coming from the head coach.
1: I feel like Ireland is the GM in your fantasy league that you have a totally fair trade lined up. All you have to do is throw in Raul Abanez or something, and the guy won't do it, and the whole trade goes under. <laughs> this is the situation that Dolphins have. They have the GM that doesn't really have the guts to pull the trigger on the trade that they need to make, and it might end up costing them. Which, I, I worry uh, about them, by the way,
3: that the pressure from being that team becomes something and I usually don't get into all the stuff off the field but if they struggle a little bit early and they have a pretty tough schedule there's going to be so much talk about them as a disappointing team when really I think the fair expectations for them should be low they're not in Miami they're really high but they should be low
1: okay so that brings us full circle we're going to head back to the Patriots now Greg we were just talking about Brady what Let's. We're assuming he's going to be fine, and he'll either be ready for the season or even before that. Uh, what is your big question? My big question
3: is, can their
1: defense
3: be a difference maker for the first time since 2004? They have more continuity than they've had in a long time. They're bringing back more young talent than they have in a long time. You line up that group, and there's a lot of ways that the defense could actually – be a weapon or am I just thinking that
1: because I'm a homer well (laughs) certainly possible
4: I think so much depends on Dan's making the leap candidate Chandler Jones who looked like he was going to take the league by storm last year and really players can't succeed with a high ankle sprain that really just savaged his season right there he's a difference maker for them as, as a pass rusher with they were lacking last year and then they have a really good talented linebacker core I don't see why this can't be a much improved defense.
2: Well, I agree. I think that they have in the last couple of seasons really committed to building that defense up. I mean, talk about Bill Belichick's overall reputation as a defensive genius is, uh, has been on the rocks for half a decade or more. But I think that they have finally shored up that linebacking group, as Wes said, is really, really strong. But to flip the script a bit, I just I think that the defense is not going to have to carry that team at all. I don't see the offense declining. As much as some people predict, I see a slight decline. I don't think we're going to have a problem with the Patriots on offense.
1: And just to go back to Wes's point with Chandler Jones, you know, I watched a lot of his snaps for that piece for the Making the Leap series, and what he was doing those in that first month of the season, he was scary. He was like a video game good. And then once his ankle went out, I think it was during that blowout loss to the blowout win over the Colts, he was never the same guy. So. If his body is right, he could be a guy he could be a fifteen sack guy that can completely change how they 're able to play defense.
3: Akeep Talib talked about it this week that the Patriots are a really hard team to play for in Tampa. We knew what the defense was going to be. It was the same week after week with New England. You never know what 's going to come. You have to be ready for everything. It changes every week, and I think the turnover on their team has really hurt them. Because of that, and that's why now you have guys, Mayo's been there for a while, Spikes is a difference maker, Hightower and Jones are entering their second year, Ninkovic has been there forever, Wilfurks good. The front seven is pretty promising, and now that these players know the scheme a little better, I think Belichick can kind of do what he wants to do. They've been a little more vanilla. The secondary's questionable, but otherwise, up front, I think he'll be able to attack more than, than he has before.
1: So those are the four teams in the AFC East, and I, I think we decided a good way to wrap it up now is to go through each of the uh, teams and say what we think their records will be. So we'll start with Wes. What are your thoughts about the division and regular season record?
4: I think the Patriots remain easily the favorites. I have them at 11-5. and five. Okay. Second place, I have the Dolphins, just because of the uh, talent advantage over the Bills and Jets. 8-8. Eight and eight. Mm-hmm. Third place, Buffalo Bills, six and ten in a rebuilding year. Dan is now going
3: under the desk <laughs> in a fetal position.
4: Fourth place, I have the Jets at five and eleven. I just see too many things possibly going wrong for them and snowballing.
1: All right, Sessler.
2: Uh, right here on paper, my picks are similar to Wes's to some degree. I have the Patriots winning the division, but at ten and six. I have the Dolphins uh, in second place with a five hundred eight and eight record, one better than one game better than last year, and then I have the Jets and Bills both at five and eleven. <laughs> but I think the Jets will end up as the third place team in the division. So you're even going as far to choose the tiebreakers
3: in the division. The Jets get it. That's Why nice. not be precise? Thanks. I appreciate. Why
2: leave that vague?
1: I like uh, it. All right, I'll go with mine. I'll, I say the Pats are going to go twelve and four, and again, everyone's going to be surprised, but I won't be. Uh, easy division win for another year. Dolphins will disappoint at 8-8. Eight, eight, eight eight. Uh, I think the Jets and Bills will both finish 6-10. and 10. I don't know how the tiebreaker will shake out. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Patriots uh, to
3: win the division easily at 12-4. and four. I'm with you, Dan. Uh, so underrated how bad this division has been overall during the Patriots' tenure. It's really helped them out. I think that will be especially true this year because I don't think anyone else in the division goes over 500. I think the Jets are somewhat, you know, surprising as a second-place team at 7-9. and nine. I'll put the Dolphins in at 7-9 and nine as well. And then the Bills, yeah, look, they have so many problems, I think, on defense and just a young team at 4-12 and 12
1: in last place. Wow. So not a lot of shockers from the ATL crew. And Patrick Crawley, our uh, resident Bills fan downstairs, is going to be very unhappy when he listens to this. Sorry, Patrick. Uh, Crystal behind the glass is telling us that we're out of time, so we need to... Shut it down for another episode. I believe we're going to have a special guest on Friday. Yes. You know, that will – wait, should I even say that? Not Not to give
3: it away, but it's an AFC North division (laughs) preview. So it's someone that kind of fits with the AFC North,
1: and it's not Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, hopefully he doesn't hi-hat us and we'll have him. Uh, Until then, uh, thank you for listening to the ATL podcast.